Uh, since Alex is not here, me and Alex have bro- have boys' night. You and him have boys' to men' night, which I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to inquire about further because I'm sure it's disgusting. I didn't realize it was happening until he, he named it. It's so. okay, and that's exactly what it's called, though. I'm going to reserve <laughs> that name for you guys. But for us, I'm going to declare that this night, this night in particular, and I want you to chant it with me, my friend. Okay. George Lucas night. There's a lot of they fight. George Lucas night. There's a lot of they fight. George Lucas night. If you talk about R4, I will kill you. You'll get bonked on the head real quick. And now it's time to go to therapy. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Obi-Wan. Star Wars A New Hope was originally called Star Wars, which sucks because even before that it was called The Star Wars, which is what I call it because I'm a purist and a true fan. Also, The Star Wars sucks. Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Therapy, the podcast where we talk about Star Wars and life. life. My name's Caleb. And I'm Steven. And we are without our friend Alex here tonight. Pour one out. Pour one out for our guy. It's unfortunate because we did just finish our commentaries for 2023 and and to be honest revenge of the sith might be my favorite episode we've ever done because that just re-emphasized how much in my life like that's like my other spider-man yeah where i'm just like i don't care what anyone says about this movie it's it's objectively brilliant it's, shut up it's the like, sacred texts <laughs> yeah the sacred jedi texts yes <laughs> and one thing that you did mention and i did confirm actually so you had actually, uh, I don't know if you was on the episode or after it, but you said like, do they ever talk about the fact that the youngling that Anakin kills kind of looks like Jake Lloyd? Yeah, yeah. They did actually. Okay. George Lucas's intention was to actually make it look like a young Anakin so that it's Darth Vader killing Anakin, which does, it's, the symbolism of it works. It's still too sudden. Yeah. It's still too much. It's still like, yeah, the kids gotcha. Like, Rob, no, 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 no. The scene within the scene works. The The scene as a whole, still a problem. Yeah, absolutely. The, the entire logic behind it, not good. But in that way, we're going to be talking about the critical reception of the prequels. We're going to be talking about, did this, in fact, ruin childhoods? Yeah. Much only, like Anakin. Did. Yeah. Not only critical, but also, I think, the fan, because I am going to draw a difference there, but continue. Critical and the fan uh, backlash, of course. But first off, I did want to let you know, uh, everyone, everyone, uh, Caleb included, uh, we're doing our first Star Wars Therapy Live. So I just wanted oh, to no. make you guys aware. So hang on one second. We'll get our caller on the line here. Hang on just one second. Hello there, caller. Uh, you're here on Star Wars Therapy. What's your name? Oh, James. Am I live? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, I love the show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, really? Uh, what, what do you like about the hosts? Oh, I love uh, I love Axel and, uh, and, and Carl. He's great. He <laughs> sucks. And Anyway, what do, you, what do you think about the prequels? I hated it. He, he, he hung up. Wow. He, he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> then why is he laughing? <laughs> Shout out to our friend James, uh, who has been a longtime listener, first time caller. And if yes. you want to call in now, make sure you call in at 555 It's canceled. A call in show would be fun, but we do not have enough fans. It, or or lines, or phones, or or enough people it to would... man all of these phones. Look at, <laughs> listen to them ring, Caleb. So, but anyway, yes, so we're going to get into kind of the general response the prequels is there is there a way we want to structure this yeah so first off i want to talk about the 
first time we realized, because I think we both had the same experience where we watched it as a kid and we just liked the prequels because it was Star Wars. Yeah. So the whole thing is I liked them when I was growing up. But then like, I think Alex actually described this on when he was talking about Grievous, because he kind of talked about how like, eh, it's kind of like my love of the prequels in general. Yeah. You know, where it's like, I liked them when I was growing up like a whole lot to the point, you know, where you're watching them every day. You described wonderful experiences that you had with a tombstone pizza and a night alone, Ooh. which, man, I get that because <laughs> that was Saturdays for me with Toonami. And like, I get it. Yeah. But like you love them and you get familiar with them. And then later in life, I mean, for me, at least, you know, you get cynical about everything when you're like 15 or 16. You're like, everything from my childhood sucked. I'm an adult now. And that's what a being an adult means. And then yeah. you become like an actual adult and you go like, actually, I kind of need those things things to feel like good about myself the cynicism is a necessary step in growing up definitely i don't think i ever had a part where i really disliked the prequels but i definitely have reevaluated each of them over time but the reason i asked that was because when was the first time you were aware of the cultural conception that the prequels were bad <laughs> i i don't know exactly but i have a feeling that it was the first time i ever heard the words Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is the most disappointing thing since my son. Which, I mean, you listen to the Red Letter Media videos, and I think that those kind of popularized, you know, everything quote-unquote wrong with the prequels, which I get it. If like, they didn't popular, popularize them, they were definitely like the defining, like they co they codified it. They were like, all right, here's what everyone thinks. Yeah. And like, they have some really good points, and I'm not going to rehash any of the points here, but like, I appreciated their point of view because it did open me up critically to looking at characters in general. Yeah. I think the only point that I will reference is that at one point they asked people to describe characters from the original and characters from the prequels, but the only thing they can do is talk about them as characters. You can't say their occupation, you can't say what they look like. You know, and it's like Han Solo, oh, he's devilish, he's roguish, you know, he's a ladies man, but he has a heart of gold on the inside, you know, you can tell. And then it's like Qui-Gon Jinn. Um stoic uh Liam Neeson. And I totally got it, but that made me look at other characters in a certain way. Did I think that they were bad for a while after, like, kind of being invested in, in that line of videos? Sure. Do I now look at that and go like, yeah, all the problems they pointed out are completely accurate and make total sense. I don't care. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I... Um, the good I get out of it outweighs the bad. Um, and I think that was just how a lot of people around me felt. I had a similar one, but stupider. I, um... <laughs> cool <laughs> I, so i don't remember the first time it happened with star wars but i do remember the first time it happened with uh x-men origins wolverine which oh my I, god i had the same thing it <laughs> was it the exact same thing was it watching watch mojo's uh top 10 games <laughs> that are better than the movies they're based on because <laughs> that's i mean granted i did play that video game and it was awesome and when, it's way better than the movie <laughs> so much of my exposure to pop culture like introduction to it was watch mojo and channels like that on youtube <laughs> Because they're kind of the perfect thing. It. They do not have any hot takes. They are the coldest takes possible. And they just kind of give you the baseline information. Oh, yeah. It's always like when they're ranking, you know, like the best movies ever or like top 10 movies of all time. It's like you can totally expect the top five to be like Taxi Driver, uh, Pulp Fiction, yeah. Citizen King. You can expect the regular answers. That's the whole thing. It's like, what is the most general opinion on this thing that we can possibly have? The biggest surprise to me is that they put Wish You Were 
hear above money on their top 10 pink floyd songs like uh you know we're gonna we're gonna not talk pink welcome floyd, back to pink welcome floyd back to therapy. pink floyd therapy <laughs> um yeah that's that's correct actually yeah but this, name me one interesting thing about money except for the time change name me one interesting thing oh, about i it. i really like money actually but anyway <laughs> I, I like wish you were here more, but um, it's just, okay. We really can't go down this hole. We really cannot. <laughs> Although this would be the perfect episode to do it because Alex isn't that into Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd night. Pink Floyd night. Pink Floyd night. <laughs> it's much sadder. <laughs> but yeah, so I can't point to a specific video, but it was definitely something from Watch Mojo or a channel like that mm-hmm. that made me aware of the cultural consensus on it. Because before then, it was just whatever me and my friends liked. But the reason I was curious about that is because we are coming from the perspective of we are now we have now grown up with the prequels, and we have talked about this many times. We are now burly, grown, poor. Poor man. <laughs> it's not even that we ignore the problems and just like it. It's that we accept the problems as part of the product in a way that I think people did that in the 70s and 80s growing up with it. And as we've talked about before, the young generations younger than us will do with the sequels. Yeah, because what's what's interesting, you know, you know, you've you've got to always, whenever I'm like, man, the sequels suck. It's like, you always do reinforce. You're like, there will be a generation of children who looked at these the same way we did Phantom Menace. And I'm thinking, every time you say it, I'm like, I don't want to believe it. I know. <laughs> but I'm always like, man, I did watch Phantom Menace a whole lot when I was a kid. Man, every time I didn't know what was going on. I, I think so much of the critical perception of Star Wars and critical fan, you know, I I know we'll make kind of a distinction, but like the crux of that is so much that like Star Wars was the first to do so many things. It wasn't just that Star Wars had all the action figures of all the characters. It was that each of those characters had accessories that went with the character, that had a stand that you could put the characters on. If not for them, we wouldn't have so many, like, meaningless pieces of plastic that we hold so dear in our lives. And, like, I completely understand that. Simultaneously, I think the prequels and the originals do that. I just think that the time period and the people who were experiencing it probably had built up 30 years of anticipation. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But like, that's my issue with it is that the first Star Wars is not this nigh untouchable, perfect masterpiece that everyone always like holds so dear and says, you can't touch it. You can't do anything to it. Oh my gosh. If you do anything in this movie, like, oh, it's just like, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really don't. <laughs> As kind of background for this episode, we watched the documentary, The People versus George Lucas, which... We'll probably talk about more in depth at some point. At some point. Or it will just be a thing that we constantly reference. Because I think think it is a valuable historical document. 100%. If anything, it is living proof that Star Wars fans have always been like this. Yes. So when everyone's like, the internet has just become... No, they've always been like this. The internet gave them a field to play in. And, oh man, do I want... Do I want the people versus Kathleen Kennedy? Do I, I need the oh, sequel? See, <laughs> that's way more deserving because, like, uh, <laughs> I, I disagree. Take? But okay. I, I disagree because I don't think anyone, like, 
everyone who I've talked to who utters the words Kathleen Kennedy, I don't think they understand what an executive producer does. Okay, fair. Maybe maybe I'm in that camp. Maybe I'm wrong. But we'll save that for our Kathleen Kennedy night that'll come in 2027. <laughs> um, It'll be the last my, episode of the podcast. Of the last episode. <laughs> the reason I, I, I picked her out specifically is because, and I think you see this in the doc, and then I'll get back to the point I was trying to make. I think for the majority of people, they are, they stopped being people and they have become ciphers. They are, they are a symbol to either praise or to hate based off of creative decisions that were made by numerous, countless people that are also interpreted through your own particular context. What I wanted to say, kind of based off of what you were saying, was that in that doc, they talk about, with the anticipation of Phantom Menace coming out, how everyone has been coming up with their own sequel. They've been thinking about how they would continue the franchise. Yeah, definitely. How do you follow it up then? If everyone has their perfect story about how it's going to go. Well, I don't even think it's, it's, it's not just that. It's that like, for me, at least like Star Wars took on a different approach after that because of the way it came out. Like it was kind of the first, I mean, like not obviously to the degree that Marvel is, but like it was the first Marvel in that way where like, you know, merchandising, uh, fans dressing up as the characters everything like that so much so that it's like it's not just that you have the three movies and then you can fantasize what there is there are books that are not being contradicted that are canon to you at least at the time on top of that there are comic books that have these characters in them that are expanded on and you have so many different things thinking about these characters and you do build up the mythos of in your mind of like if this is going to be about Darth Vader's upbringing, it's going to be amazing. We're going to see so many things. And then the Phantom Menace came out. Yep. I think one piece to uh, one piece that ultimately we are kind of talking about just before he released the prequels and made them before he made the prequels, he did in fact release the special editions. Yeah. And that's kind of something the documentary covers a little bit is that like, you've already pissed in their Cheerios, dude. Like, you, now you're asking them to take a bite. Like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing, because I, I think George Lucas was kind of in his own world with it, which I don't think is a bad thing. Because what he saw was he, he was back at a point where he wanted to make movies again. And he was talking about it. And he was like, do I kind of continue like down the THX path or do I revisit Star Wars? And the reason he decided to go down Star Wars is because he finally felt like he had the technology to do what he wanted to do. Right. And... I get the appeal to that as a creative. It's very hard for me to end projects and I always feel like they're imperfect. So if I could go back and like try to perfect them, I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. I think the crime that George Lucas did was that he then made the originals unaccessible. Yeah. And, and it's a matter of like, you reach a level of hypocrisy as well, because like, you know, not, but three years before that, he like, testified in front of congress for preserving the uncolorized original films uh for so many classic films yeah and so when you see that and it's like oh you can't colorize these it's part of history and then he immediately goes and adds what many people would say are now issues but yeah it, it, i think it does boil down to that it boils down to the whole making it inaccessible because yeah. does that work like belong to the people now you know, is it now such a cultural landmark that it belongs to the people and you should allow that? I mean, you've referenced Blade Runner before and it's like, you know, it, there are seven cuts of the movie. The good thing is 
all of them are available. Yeah. You can find them, you know, instead of like with Star Wars where it's like, well, we released a 75 disc pack and now you have to buy that and sell everything else on it to get the movie you want. If you're going to look at the prequels, you do have to look at the special editions because they both they both paved the way for the discourse, but they also paved the way for the technologies. And I think one of the interesting criticisms that you get a lot of the times with the prequels is critiquing things like the characters and the dialogue. And I think that's because... George Lucas in the 70s was surrounded by people from the New Hollywood movement who were more interested in that. He was surrounded by Francis Ford Coppola. I was going to say he mentored under him, right? Yeah. Um, Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, all the all these people. Sp- Spielberg wasn't New Hollywood. He was blockbuster. But they, you get he was I mean. of the same generation yes. and of that kind of auteur that would go on to define themselves yeah. in the same yeah. way Lucas did. So, But then he stopped making movies. He started producing. He got even more and more into the technology, which makes sense because he was always a tech guy. And so when you get to... The end, people talk about how he he was surrounded by Yes Man. And on a story point, yeah. But like, we both have watched the behind the scenes for the prequels. Yeah. His collaboration is with the technical people. Absolutely. And that's the achievement of those movies. It's the effects. Like, even if they don't look good, there are still like necessary steps to what we have today. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's like his view of the movies kind of wasn't the view of the movies that everyone else had. There seems to be with Star Wars in particular, more than like superhero movies and more than like any other like franchise, there seems to be this like sacred kind of belief around it almost, or like this sacred, like we hold this thing in such high regard that you can't touch it. Yeah. And it's, it becomes religious in some ways for some people. I totally get that because name me one person that you hung out with that didn't at least own a lightsaber or one thing Star Wars related in their house or or at least talk to you about Star Wars at one point. It is such a cultural touchstone in that way. And I don't think George Lucas was looking at that. I think he's just like, it's my movie. I want to update it. I want to change some things so that when my children watch it, it'll grow up with them. And meanwhile, now those effects that he's added have kind of dated the movie terribly. But at the same time, really appreciate that he tried that big experiment. <laughs> uh, we're going to go, we're going to dip back into Pink Floyd. <laughs> therapy for a minute you listen to roger waters uh re-recording of uh, uh dark side of the moon yeah and how <laughs> slow and i mean <laughs> listen regardless of where we think the original money ranks in the oeuvre of pink floyd we I all s- can agree the original money is way better than the two men step in the ring they both glance at each other and then it sounds like the sludge metal version of that it's almost like roger waters doesn't know how to do the music side of pink floyd songs it's it's almost (laughs) like he was only good at one thing and then when he stopped doing that one thing pink floyd also became bad at that one thing it's it's weird because like where is the value in that because i think we both will agree we are both big Pink Floyd fans. We saw yeah. Roger Waters live together. Absolutely, yeah. Roger Waters did a bad job with that thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there is value in that still as like a living document. And like, it is very clear that I thought, like you said, with George Lucas, he was seeing a different Star Wars. Roger yeah. Waters was seeing a different Dark Side of the Moon. Like, we will never be able to see the version of either of those men who have like, that's the Roman Empire. That's clearly what they have been thinking about for like, 30 years. Do you think that's what George Lucas thought about with McClunky? 
Like he added everything back, but he was just like, there's one other thing that's I, just been itching at the back of my mind. Listen, I can only give you what I want to be true. I'm not, I have no proof of this. <laughs> we have no receipts. Rewatching all the behind the scenes for the prequels and stuff and interviews with him has made me appreciate his sense of humor more because it does exist. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just, it's like this. There are people that are naturally funny. You and Alex are two of the like most naturally funny people that I know in terms of like, you can make me laugh and like, it doesn't feel forced. It's conversational. With George Lucas, he is funny in that way. However, when you have to write funny, you're like, I need to do an impression of what people think are funny. Yes. What's funny for children? Oh, stepped in the poopy. Like, it's just like... You you get to that point where you're just like, uh, okay, no one actually laughs at that besides children. Yes. It's not objectively funny. It's a funny to one group of people. <laughs> but him hanging around with like animators and stuff, he might have like a very dry quip that I do genuinely laugh at. Yeah. I fair. think I think that's what McClunky is. I really McClunky. think it's him just I think it's him just trolling. I think it's him just trolling us. <laughs> Like I said, I have no proof to that, but that would be, that is, if that is a joke, that is a hilarious joke. He breaks out the original masters and puts everything back in and goes, wait a minute. Hey, honey, have you, uh, have you deposited the check yet? I got one more thing to do. And he pulls out the gigantic, like, just clipper for, like, all of the film. And he's like, my clunky. (laughs) You know, it does bring up the theory of, like, of talking about is it George's work? Is it the people's work? You know, kind of where do you lie on that spectrum? I, I think it should be like I said with the Blade Runner, like I think with even though Roger Waters' experiment failed in my opinion. Yeah. I think it should belong to both. I think people should be able to revisit their work. I think people should be able to, if they're fans, then go and do their re- reinterpretations of it, whether that's editing down Phantom Menace to 70 minutes, whether that's editing Obi-Wan down to 70 minutes. Yeah. Like, I think all of that stuff is valid. I think the problem is when that ownership becomes too personal. And we see that with George Lucas making all of the rest of Star Wars inaccessible or with fans who try to then like force their opinion onto everyone else. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not even just like forcing their opinion. It's, it's the fact that they believe that their opinion is objectively correct. Yeah. It's gospel to them. Yeah, exactly. Like, but here's the thing. No opinion is genuinely correct. Yeah. Facts are correct. You know, opinions are not correct. You know, the point being is just like, I don't understand how a movie being bad could ruin your life. Because that is the classic kind of thing people say about the prequels. George Lucas ruined my childhood. George Lucas made our childhood. So I'm trying to figure out where that disconnect is. Yeah, yeah. And these people, I don't, the people we watched in the doc, I don't know them. I don't know their circumstances. Yeah. But if you're throwing around terms uh, that are like violent, that are deal with domestic abuse and, and sexual abuse, which people do all the time with Or this. comparing George Lucas to people who, you know, D- denied historical events. Yes. And, uh, like, not okay. I understand it's hyperbole. However, I do think that shows that you have lived, like you probably have lived a very sheltered life. If this is the kind of stuff that you can use this language to express your opinion on. Right. It's like, if you saw the cast of the 2016 ghostbusters and thought it would be bad based on the cast, rest assured, the cast is not the problem. It's the entire rest of the movie. But if you're the kind of person who reacts like that, maybe reevaluate your priorities and move out. Yeah. It's a good idea. I, when I was in college, I saw the latest version of Ben-Hur. Um, oh my gosh. Are we finally going to get the rant? 
No. Are we finally going to get you just losing it on the podcast? Here's the thing. I like I've like I've said before on this podcast, I love Ben Hur. It's a very important story to me. I think that movie completely misses the point on top of being a bad movie from a technical perspective. And so I was very mad at it. I could not sleep that night. I was like, (laughs) I walked around campus ranting to myself about that movie. I don't think I can build up that kind of passion for a movie anymore. I don't think I can. Maybe, maybe I can build it up in the reverse. Yeah, I can build. I was about to say I can build it up positively. I can't build it up negatively because honestly, for me, at I'm at this point in my life, I just don't feel the need to see a movie I think is going to be bad or I don't want to see. Similarly, I had a very similar experience with um with Batman versus Superman. I'm not going to go on a whole DC rant, but like when you've been waiting your entire life to see these two characters together on the big screen and then they try to murder each other (laughs) and like they end up resolving the fight by saying uh, the name of someone it's like going up to batman and saying hey bruce i heard about this new bruce springsteen record and he goes bruce how did you hear that name but i digress the point being is that like I thought about that movie. I, I always described it like this. I'm like, Batman v Superman was a movie that I thought about every day before it released. And then I also thought about it every day after it released. But in polar opposite ways. Yes. And like, I get that. But it's just a matter of like, even now looking at that movie in my life, I'm like, yeah, but like, yeah, some of the fight scenes are fun. It's an over-the-top Zack Snyder movie. I'm not so defined by this that like, meh, I yeah, hate it. It's Passion is a value-neutral thing. You can be passionate about a lot of bad things. Like you can be passionate about like political positions that make you marginalize other people. Like that's passion. Yeah. (laughs) But you can also be like have an intense passion that makes you want to like protect other people too. Those are obviously higher scale things than liking or disliking a movie. Absolutely. I think, I think the line for me comes like if your reaction to a movie is super negative, that's fine. But I think you are doing harm to yourself if you obsess over it. And I think that's what a lot of people have done with star wars the best video on the internet about star wars is mr sunday's review of the last jedi yep (laughs) because it's not a review of the last jedi he pretends to hate the last jedi and then he starts talking about how terrible force awakens is then he starts talking about how terrible the prequel prequels are and he goes all the way down to and star wars is terrible (laughs) because it was supposed to be named the star wars it was supposed (laughs) to be a flash gordon reboot like it's just like and, and it's so true because the the hyperbole around the hatred it's like you know alex i think said it in a, a couple of episodes ago but he's like you know if a bad marvel movie comes out people forget about it bad star wars movie comes out people talk about it yeah and like i get that a good example is like this rogue one rogue one is a movie that i experienced a microcosm of that kind of star wars effect i walked out of it loving it i was like oh my god that is the best star wars movie i am so excited that i just saw that i had a poster of it i was so excited and then i heard people talking that you know i respected voices in the youtube community that i liked that just were like it's nostalgia baity it's not good you know the cgi is terrible this and this and like as much as i then was like oh it's wrong for me to like that movie now about um you know what seven years now I'm, I'm about seven years out from seeing that movie in the theaters and I watched it the other night. I'm not going to lie. I still love it and I really don't care. Yeah. Like, it's a good movie. I know it has flaws. I know Saw Gerrera is absolutely ridiculous, but I it's like, Saw yeah, in the same way, it's just like, book on it. 
like it, it's so funny and like that's the thing one distinction i'm gonna make is that i think so many people think that you need to be either good or bad i think there's a middle ground called yeah. entertaining because for example would you describe Ian McDermott's acting as Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith as good a lot of the time? No! But is it the most entertaining dialogue and did you and I both at the same time unprompted go, No! No! You will die! During the commentary? Yes, because it's so Fun. I'm gonna, we're going to re reveal a difference in our way we see things. Okay. It's not to disagree with you. It's just to like show this is the wide variety and why some people can like things you don't like. The, the whole meta conversation of this episode. Yeah. I, to me, I don't think it even has to do with entertaining. It has to do with like interesting. Is yeah. it an interesting decision he's making? Like I love soccer era. Because that is an that is an interesting decision yeah, interesting, Force Whitaker is making. Telling something that draws you in, where you're just like, "That's strange." Give yeah. me more of that. One of my favorite things to do is like when someone is like, "This character is behaving stupidly," or they're behaving illogically. To really step back and be like, "Okay, but is that a problem with the script, or is that a problem?" like in world for the character yeah is the character stupid or is the person who wrote the character being stupid and then like ian mcdermott is like i like every single decision he's making he is playing this high camp and i love that this man is committing to a very compelling choice and like let's set aside good or bad thumbs up thumbs down we have to put everything on like a vector right just let's discuss the artistic merit of this and like the historical influences it's pulling in. That's what I like talking about. That's why I bring up dumb mythology stuff when we do our the commentaries. I mean, you say dumb, I say educated, actually. That's the most educated point of view to like talk about <laughs> when it comes to Star Wars is that kind of, that classic kind of, where does this fit in the oeuvre of stories? Because it does blend so many of those things yeah. together. So I think it's a valid talking point. When it comes to the interesting decisions, I think that's actually why some of the things in the prequels fail. Because for every interesting decision, it feels like... And I, I think that this kind of goes to what we're talking about. When you kind of weigh whether or not you, you overall net positive or net negative a movie. It is kind of like for every interesting decision they make, there's like... Two or three that are either like they put you off or they're just not interesting. Yeah. For example, Darth Maul. What does he do for us? He gives us an awesome character design, first of all, with like wicked looking. He gives us the double-bladed lightsaber, which is a new thing we had never seen up until that point. He gives us one of the best duels with one of the best themes in all of Star Wars. Uh, and also he has no character whatsoever in yeah. the movie and like really doesn't do anything the whole time. So it's like, when you're like, I love Darth Maul, you have to then explain that you watched four or five seasons of an animated show. Like, yeah. like I do when I explain that I have a Darth Maul mural in my room. So like the point being is that like, you know, you look at that or like, I think the other example is the Gungan city. When you come up on it, it's an awesome site. It, it, feels like you know this this other world it's amazing nothing in movies has ever been like that before then you hear him talk and it's like oh no but at the same time it's kind of funny the problem is that all the people around them are extremely bland and treating this like it's nothing and so it's just like how am i supposed to be interested like this is conflicting yeah and well and also the, the million of things i pull into you mcdermott's like 
decisions to understand it. I also understand what George Lucas is pulling in. And like the Gungans are stereotypes. Yeah. Watto is a stereotype. Yeah. And like, then you get into a whole different conversation that I'm not sure we're ready to have about morality and criticism and stuff like that, which I yeah. think is its own thing. Which when you're a kid, you don't think about that. No, when no, you're an adult, you're like, I shouldn't laugh at this anymore. Because you're a kid, you don't have morality, really. Like, <laughs> hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully your parents give you like a framework, but man, you are, you are a ball of selfishness that you have to like chip away at. As, as Werner Herzog said, (laughs) the child is void of morality. It is a ball of selfishness. It is a blank slate onto which society, (laughs) which society carves its ugly visage. Do you see that one quote that apparently he said when he was talking about dreams? You told me about this. Did I? Yeah. Okay, yeah, where he just says he's like, the last dream that I had, I was had a sandwich, and then I woke up. I've had dreamless nights ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, this man was able to go like, it was ham and cheese. It was beautiful. <laughs> In the land of shades, I shall travel no longer. <laughs> He's like the default, like German kind of Swedish voice that I think of, where it's just like "unt is unt I love, I love when I watch Fitzcarraldo in film school. I will, I will be honest, it did not really capture me. So what I did to stay engaged with the movie was I switched the audio track from the movie to his commentary just intermittently. <laughs> Points. Yes, and it, it was he for... just like randomly like I ate a ham and cheese sandwich yesterday. No, because like Fitzcarraldo is a movie about like how creative obsessions can destroy you, and it almost destroyed him. Yeah, so it's yeah. like they really do go hand in hand. Where he's like, yes, and then Kleiskinski oh, shot a bunch of people, and I had to take his gun away. I just I love... that wasn't. I don't think that was on Fitzcarraldo. I think that was on Akira, <laughs> but that did happen. I was gonna say, then didn't he make that movie with Nicolas Cage on the on the cocaine? I don't know. He's made a ton of movies. Something like that, but it's just like when Nicolas Cage is just like going crazy and he looks at the couple and he's just like, I should just kill you both! Like, anyway, well, no, sorry. Weird tangent. Sorry. sorry. Love love Werner Herzog. Yeah, he's great. Um, Anyway, I don't know. It There's a lot of factors, I think, to weigh when you talk about are the prequels really that bad? Yeah. And, and I would love to hear your perspective on this because I think a huge part of how you engage with something is what age you are and what place in life you are when you take in that media. There's some movies that I will purposely not watch because I know for a fact I'm not going to like them if I watch them right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, I refuse to rewatch Death Note because... I loved it so much as a kid. I know I will not love it that much now. Um, and I'd rather just maintain those. As someone who watches it once a year, it's pretty all right. Uh, it still I, it still maintains that. But I understand you want to you want to hold that sacred. It's less about yeah. It's less about the overall quality of the product again, and it's more about like my personal context and like what I liked about it then is definitely different from what I would think about it now. I felt the same way when I was rewatching some cartoons from my childhood. Of you know, like anime is a great example where it's like, oh my god, you've explained how you did this move four or five different times. I'm so ready to stop watching this. But as a kid, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I think there is 
there is definitely a context depending on where you are in life and stuff. And I think maybe I haven't mentioned before on this podcast, but I think I've told you about this. Like when I watched Batman Begins, I was too young for that. Not because of any of the content in it, but because I couldn't understand it. Like my mind had not seen enough films to like really parse what was going on or to appreciate a movie that wasn't all flashy. And and especially in that movie, I understand because like I had the same thing with that movie, actually. I really loved it, but I loved it because it was Batman. The whole jumping time like lines and being like this is Bruce Wayne when he was younger this yeah, is Bruce Wayne when yeah. he was a kid this is Bruce Wayne now you're just like as a child I was like okay I guess he went back home for a minute I don't know why is his hair like that like, well, it's also <laughs> just like I uh, he's gonna tear down society because he doesn't like like what's what's this Ra's al Ghul's guy do? like I couldn't yeah. <laughs> understand at the same time I think that goes in reverse too I think I think we do have to leave things behind in our lives and I I'm not saying we should do that with Star Wars I think Star Wars obviously i think star wars has value for adults and you can like it and all that welcome stuff. to episode 30 of our star wars podcast yes i do think it has value to adults <laughs> but like i think i think you definitely need to learn how to let go and like i saw someone one time and i hate that like one person can who i don't even know the name of can have such like a lasting impact on my life but like they're talking about hey we've all been in traffic accidents i don't even remember the name but like star wars young jedi it's on disney plus right now it's for like little little kids. yeah i know that we talked about and he was ranting about how it's like this is what kids are getting now and what we got was clone wars and i'm like yeah but like one of those was aimed for a much older audience than the other how can you not understand this uh, first off why are you even paying attention to Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures or whatever? Do you really think that this was going to be canon? And it's like, you say that, but like the droids show exists. Yeah. They did that original. The Ewok show exists. Like, yeah, it's just like, like they appealed to children way earlier on than that. Like, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, we got Clone Wars. There's also a bunch of like minimalist, cutesy Star Wars stuff that came out in that era too. So stop acting like it was Clone Wars and nothing else. And it's also like... Dude, you're saying Clone Wars was great. Uh, rewatch that first season, buddy, and tell me, tell me objectively that you need those episodes in your life. Like, yeah, it's just one of those things where I do think I do. I do, trying to get back to your question, which I think I've just completely derailed. It's fine. I definitely do think the the time in someone's life when they interact with something definitely has an effect. Once again, much like passion, both positive and negative, just depending on how you choose to channel it. And the prequels came in at a time when it was perfect for us and not for other people. Sequels came in at a time were imperfect for us, perfect for other people. That's fair. And I think it's just getting back to what we keep saying on this, which is like, it's a generational thing. And if you can't have that perspective, that's fair. And I think we're going to have to learn how to live with that (laughs) as we get older. In the same way that like, you know, I think every generation of Star Wars, regardless of whether or not it's, you know, the, the greatest thing ever that's highly regarded. I think the problem is, is that since the first ones were the first ones to do so much, movies like Empire Strikes Back especially have such reverence behind it being like this this cultural moment in time. I look at it the same way with Revenge of the Sith, though. I'm like, I remember the air, you know, like yeah. when I saw that movie. I remember people getting excited. I remember talking to everyone about it and being like, it's so much fun! Like, you know, and reenacting scenes from it with my friends in the same way people did with those movies. I just think that if you're not willing to accept, in the same way that like, oh my god, I cast another Batman. If you're not willing to accept that things change and things progress and things move on, 
I, I don't think you should engage with it anymore. You can declare an end to what yeah, you like. It's not healthy for you. Like I did not watch the final Hobbit movie because those movies, <laughs> I was I, literally about to bring that up. They are my star Wars prequels. Absolutely. And I get I, it. Me too, buddy. <laughs> and the healthy decision for me was to not watch that third movie. Yeah. It's it, spoilers. Y- y- good. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't made think the right I decision, much. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. And like, and that's kind of what I mean. You can choose to just watch the three movies. You can choose to take the extended editions as Bible. You can choose to, for me, in, in Star Wars, there's certain things that I just kind of take as canon. And I'm just kind of like, all right, that's just kind of how I view things. It's just willing, it's just willing to accept those things. I think with Star Wars fans in particular, you know, one thing they cover in the documentary is like, they talk about, I, I watched Phantom Menace eight or nine other times just to see if I'd like it and brainwash myself. And I'm just like, guys, it doesn't need to be a moral quandary whether yeah. or not you like something. Yeah. Like, unless that has to do with, like, a substance or your partner or, like, a job, you know? Then question whether or not you like something. If it's a piece of fiction about about space wizards, reprioritize, please. Yeah. There's, there's a quote from the documentary that I wrote down. It's, uh... One of the worst things that a nerd can do, if I can use the word nerd, is when they love something so much that... In order to continue to be more into it than the next person, they have to hate it. Wow. I, it's it's such That's a telling. prescient, like, that That applies today, yeah. not just Oh, my then. gosh. Um, and not just to Star Wars. To everything. To, to yeah. every fandom. I, I say a lot, and I, I kind of, like, treat it as my philosophy when I'm thinking about this podcast, is that Star Wars is for everyone. But... At the same time, that doesn't mean that all of Star Wars, that an individual piece of Star Wars is for you. What that means is that you have a place within the universe. I think that no matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter your context, uh, no matter like your race, religion, creed, whatever, you should be able to have a Star Wars project that if it is to your taste, you can enjoy and see yourself reflected in. For us, that's seeing ourselves as Obi-Wan and Luke because we're white dudes, right? <laughs> I think it is equally important... <laughs> That's so, uh, that's, that's so incredibly accurate. I, I pretended to be Anakin a lot. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course I'm Anakin. <laughs> I, I, I hope for other people that they have, and this is one of the reasons I love Visions, they have another end to that. And I, you know, I hope that Star Wars continues to the point where everyone can find a meaningful connection within it. And I hope that's what how people accept it. Part of that means that everyone will have their own headcanons. And they will accept some things as canon and some other things as not. And that's beautiful. It just, it becomes ugly when people then try to impose their will onto other people. When A.O. Scott retired from his uh, job as the New York Times film critic, he was he wrote a big exit interview type piece where he was talking about like his perspective on media and film and all this stuff. And one of the things he said in there was that he has grown to think that fandom is undemocratic because it tries to force a consensus on people. And I think that is the core reason why it's fine if you don't like the prequels, but there was something very wrong about how people reacted to them. And I will extend that to the sequels and to the Disney shows, most of which I don't like. Fair. Context. And then to the Hobbit movies and to, and to Roger Waters' dumb project and to Game <laughs> of Thrones. Everything. 
We have to have a democratic mindset about this and embrace the fact that everyone is going to have their own experience in canon with it. That's a great point. I mean, genuinely, and that's a great way to say it is that like fandom, it tries to force a consensus because I mean, you know, are there things that I think generally people agree on? Yeah, but there's no reason as to why that has to be the only opinion out there. I think in regards to Star Wars as well, you know, you talked about, you know, different cultural entry points, which I completely agree with. I think Star Wars has characters for everybody in every generation. Or it should. Or at, it should. At bare minimum. Like, I don't think that, like, it does a great job of representing absolutely everyone, but I think that it should and has the ability to. And so it's just one of those things, besides the cultural aspect, there are entry points within the sagas themselves. You can watch episode one and not really know anything else. You know, for the most part, I think it's advantageous to start with the release order, but at the same time, you can watch any of them and kind of get where the story's going. I have friends who never watched Star Wars who I watched Force Awakens with, and they were like, I didn't really get all the context around that, but like, I, I enjoyed what was going on and I really had a good time. And from there, they became Star Wars fans. I also kind of like, I kind of look at it like video games too. It's like this. Here's the game. Do you like it? Awesome. If you like the game, buy the DLC. If you like the DLC, we've got a sequel coming out. And if the sequel's a console exclusive, you're probably gonna buy the console. With Star Wars, hey, do you like the prequels better? Cool, do you want more of that? Here's the Clone Wars. Hey, do you like the sequel trilogy? We've got some animated series. We've got Disney Plus shows. It's just, you have so many different things. Hey, do you like the originals and you're really into books? We have an entire non-canon like series of things you can enjoy and just keep the originals in mind. But it's just like, I feel like that's not good enough for people. But like, then again, you look at something like Marvel Comics and it's like, Marvel Comics has eight or nine different versions of the X-Men and Spider-Man going on at all times. And all of us are like, oh yeah, comic books, they're still fine, but you're not going to get onto them for that? Like, sorry, very no, long like, rant. <laughs> well, that, I I have to stop before we start talking about comic book publishing. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> good point. I just, but I, 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 I don't, feel like it's yeah, an apt comparison. Yeah, I don't want to obscure your comparison by getting into the nitty gritty. Yeah, you're fine. Because, but it is very tempting, much like talking about <laughs> Werner Herzog or Pink Floyd. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that there is something that is not good enough for people, that they they need to have that control. And I think part of that is because they haven't... It, it's different for different people. I think some people make it a cultural thing where it's like, it's their culture war issue. Star Wars has gone woke, right? Like Kathleen oh gosh, Kennedy yeah. has injected feminism into Star Wars. Anytime someone who doesn't look like me shows up in Star Wars, I get scared. And yeah. it's just like, at the end of the day, though, I feel like those people are still weirdly, it's not correct. It's not like morally okay, but like... I think they are coming at it from a point of view of like Star Wars is sacred to me. Yeah, yeah. Which is to defend it to the degree where you're bordering on racism or sexism. Or is, you're crossing that line. Or you're crossing that line very well into it. Not okay. And like that's what that's one extreme example, but one very prevalent. And yeah, has, completely agree. Uh, but also then I think you get this more with the prequels because that is technically what we're talking about. I think the other another aspect of that is it's just they can't let go of their childhood. And I don't know. I don't want to judge these people by saying grow up. But at the same time, I think you would do yourself a service if you grew up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like this. 
let's look at it from the opposite point of view. Let's say that you and I, and, Al, and, of, and of course Alex, hi Alex, we grew up with the prequels. And let's say that we held them in such high regard and they were nigh-untouchable masterpieces that the moment anybody said something bad about them and said like, oh, I don't know, I feel like Qui-Gon's maybe a bit stoic. I don't know, the whole uh, Hayden Christensen acting in, in uh, Attack of the Clones is not that great. And we go, how dare you? The I don't like sand scene is perfect. It's untouchable. Like, at that point, I feel like we would still have the notion of like someone saying the opposite to us saying, hey, you probably need to acknowledge that this thing that you like is not perfect. Yes. But like, that's the difference is that you and I and Alex look at the prequels and we can go, are they perfect? Absolutely not. Do they have some great moments that I will carry with me probably for the rest of my life? Yeah. And like when you get down to it, like we're all flawed, we're all human. And so like whenever anyone brings up X-Men First Class, there's just part of me that's waiting to talk about how they butchered Emma Frost. Oh, and, like, I know this conversation too well. <laughs> I don't think that's fine for me to do that when someone just wants to talk about a movie they like. I, and I'm aware of it and I try to stop myself, but man, sometimes I do that. And I understand, but I think on our process of all becoming better people and through art, becoming more understanding people and stuff. We have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of like, I hate, I've, I've got pretend to be someone else. Let me put on this mustache and glasses. <laughs> I hate the last Jedi. That's fine. But like, <laughs> just don't yell at people Words about that it. Caleb would never say if not incognito. <laughs> <laughs> put on the fedora and everything goes out the door. <laughs> I do think there is something else here that influence. The growth that we see from the prequel hate to today, we see it, we can see two diverging paths. One is the people who now grow up and have perspective on it, whether that's because they liked it then or because they were like us and were kids, or they've just had a lot of other life to live and they have different priorities. Now, right. Which has happened. Bother me. Which has happened while all of us. Ben Hur doesn't keep me up at night anymore. I've gotten over Batman v Superman. Yeah, we've and lived life. <laughs> totally get you. It's like when someone says, oh, that movie's pretty good. And then I'm like, yeah, but Batman murders people. Like, <laughs> that's my Emma Frost. But the other diverging path, I think, is you see the same toxicity that you saw there escalated. And maybe it's not escalated. Maybe it's just because I wasn't there then. But it seems much more escalated. And I think that's because, and in the documentary, someone says this. Is it fine for fans to hate it? Or to be this like upset about it, this like indignant about it. And they're like, yeah, they're not professionals. But the internet has blurred the line so much mm -hmm. where it is so easy to hop online and be on the same medium. There are actual legitimate film critics on YouTube. Yeah. And nothing is stopping you as just a random Joe from doing the exact same thing they do of uploading a video. And that's fine. I I've made I make YouTube videos all the time. I think that's a great outlet for me. However, because of that blurring, I think that that has meant that we now mistake fan reaction for actual criticism. And I think the real danger there is when you have nut jobs like the quartering who their whole business model is making people angry. And I'm just using him as an example. I don't even know if you know who he is. I, I don't actually. Good, keep it that way. Um, <laughs> think of your stereotypical right wing, I'm gonna yell about Kathleen Kennedy injecting feminism into Star Wars. Kind okay, of. gotcha. I don't know if he believes anything he says, but I know he makes a lot of money off of it. And mm. that's, that's, that's the issue I have with today's discourse, is that there are grifters out there who make money on negativity. And because they do that, 
normal fans see that and they mistake that for real criticism and then they try to imitate it. And so you just get this big negative spiral, which is why I have completely turned around as a kid, loved the nostalgia critic, loved I the was, channel awesome. Kate, look, I am so glad we're on this episode together. I was literally just thinking, I was about to say, it's the nostalgia critic effect. Yes. Of like, this movie sucks. Batman and Robin is the worst thing ever. And then you watch it again later and you're like, yeah, but it's funny. Like, yeah, like... <laughs> It just, it doesn't give people a good foundation for talking about art. And like, I'm not saying you have to like film criticism. Like you have to read A.O. Scott or like Tasha Robinson or, or whoever. classes or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But it's a matter of like the baseline that you're kind of getting at is that like the opinions out there sometimes in that blurring that you're kind of talking about, don't take into account the actual criticism and where they're trying to come from and their feelings on the media so much as they are like, let me tap into what the general public may or may not feel about yeah. this and yeah. then exacerbate it i think there's a lot of voices i think a great example is the last jedi there was so much discourse around that movie and of course we're going to talk about that later in in 2024 when we do our inevitable commentary where caleb uh, will be absolutely uh, terrified the uh, whole time oh how do we talk about this <laughs> i mean there's one scene that i'm gonna have to be like y'all you have to give me this one because my, my favorite scene, <laughs> you can't say anything about this my favorite scene in star wars is in that movie and you're just gonna have to let me cook while that's going on <laughs> uh if it's rubber yoda i totally get it um that's it fine yeah All right, there we go yeah it's fine as long as you accept that he looks more rubbery than ever i'm okay with that yeah it's fine he looks right, like a crackhead in phantom menace so Absolutely. i'm like i'm used to this <laughs> The point being is that like it's about hyperbole in that way. And so for me, it's like you have to try. I think if you're going to try to actually have a critical perspective, you have to weigh how you feel versus where you're coming from. I think a lot of the time, the thing that I end up saying is like, you know, look, if you like a movie that I don't, I'm happy because and I'm jealous because I wish I could like everything but when something bothers me in that way I'm just not going to engage with it anymore which is why the only way I'm going to see Avatar 3 is if I have alcohol beforehand and I've told Alex this on multiple occasions I will watch that movie please don't <laughs> <laughs> I love Avatar like and this is something where my my perception of it completely changed because I didn't like it back when I originally saw it and then like because of just <laughs> you came around on it. Well, just because of the online discourse and the fact that I didn't go back and watch it, I grew to like really dislike it. But then I did rewatch it. I was like, I'll give it a second chance, and I did enjoy it. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, I was like, this is a good movie, mainly because I saw it in the format it's meant for. But fair. But like, it's one of those things. Of, I I really like Avatar. Steven, you don't have to do that to yourself. Just you don't. You've seen you've seen six hours of Ad Avatar. You can stop. Listen. <laughs> We talk about putting yourself through things because you're a fan. I'm a fan of my friends, and I'm doing this for you. You could say you're doing it for Alex. Please don't do it for me. I'm doing it for you, Caleb. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Feel Cut to me with an entire drum of liquor. <laughs> an entire, like, oil drum of whiskey. You have a whole keg. <laughs> yeah. You get two tickets so you can put it down beside you in the I'm next so seat. I'm so excited to see Avatar 3, The Lane of Lava. <laughs> Brief tangent. Besides Avatar, was the last movie you saw going into it that you knew you would dislike? <sighs> oh, my God. Uh, a movie going into it that I was like, I know this is going to be bad. Probably, on honestly, the Emoji movie. 
That was 2017. The Emoji Movie and Transformers The Last Night. But the difference with Transformers The Last Night is that like I, I fully knew what I was getting into and I knew it was going to be stupid and I yeah. laughed about it with a friend and we made a stupid YouTube video, um, which is I still think of sometimes. I still It's on one of my many failed channels. Um, but the point being is I think of that one with the Emoji Movie. We were just like, let's just see how bad this can get. And then we watched it and during the Just Dance scene, I walked out and... That was it. And then from that point on, I kind of went, I don't need to punish myself. I don't need to do this to myself. The only time, if I'm going to see a bad movie, I'm going to see it with, oh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. Morbius. Morbius was the last movie I saw that I genuinely thought was going to be bad. But the difference was, it was just me and my dad in the theater. And like on opening like week, and it was just like nobody there. And it was just me and him. And we had the best time ever because like we were just joking the whole time. I'm sure there was one guy in the back that was just pissed at us. But like, I don't even care. One of my favorite movie experiences. Love Morbius. 10 out of 10. When I was, when I saw Morbius, well, one, I fell asleep during a lot of it, but (laughs) yeah, it it is NyQuil the movie a lot of the time. (laughs) The dude, like he was across the row from, uh, from me and he FaceTimed his buddy and just started having his friend watch a movie and they were having a whole conversation about it. I couldn't even get mad because I'm like, it's Morbius. It's like, Morbius! Which, I'm not gonna lie, it's so weird talking about Loki and like how good Loki is right now because it's like when we're talking about Morbius or we're talking about Mobius or we're talking about Ouroboros or we're or talking about Aurora Morpheus. Borealis. Yeah. <laughs> any, other, any other thoughts on the prequels? We, we talked about a lot. Yeah, you know, and I mean, to be honest, it's more, this This definitely is, you know, one of our conversations where it's about critical perception and it's talking about how you intake media, which I think is something that you and I have really bonded with. You know, with me and Alex, it's a lot of stupid jokes and it's a lot of things that we relate to in our childhood with you and me. It's how we perceive things. And I always appreciate that, like, I think I come at things from a very, like, emotional point of view. And whereas you come from more of a... Not necessarily analytical in the sense of like, I have to analyze every single thing like a robot, but more like the freedom to look at something in a different perspective, I think is where you come from it, which is really cool. And I've always appreciated that because like when it comes to the prequels, I have to admit to myself, you know, are these objectively good? Would I rate the Attack of the Clones or Phantom Menace as like a 9 out of 10 experience? No, but we need 6 out of 10 movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. We need strong sevens. We need decent eights. And the fact is, is that I don't care what anyone says. Revenge of the Sith is a 10. It is a 10 every time. It's a 10. Slaughter of the Children, 9.5. But like 10. <laughs> Just like you need God, you need the adversary. You need yeah, the... Uh... You need the devil. <laughs> You need, you need <laughs> what a power does heaven have if those in hell are not allowed to dream of it? <laughs> so saith the Sandman. But uh, like, yeah, exactly. It, and another, another one, Morpheus. There we go. <laughs> I think that the prequels will have have time has validated them in a lot of ways. If it hasn't validated them from you, uh, that doesn't mean that your life's ruined. Please yeah. stop acting like media ruins your life. Media didn't do that to you. You did that to you. Stories matter. Like they, there is a deep, profound meaning to stories, and we could we could just sit here and go on and on about like the stories that fundamentally shaped our lives, both good and bad. Both Star Wars and Harry Potter are on that list for me. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but both of which you view very differently in some yes, ways now. But you have to be more than a singular like 
data point. You have to like live a complex life because we live in a complex world and we are all complex beings. Do not do yourself the disservice of tying your identity to one thing solely. You can love something. You can love it with like a lot of passion. Just don't obsess over it. Don't hate it. And definitely don't bring that hatred onto others. Make sure that passion is from a positive place. You know, if you find yourself directing that passion towards negative energy and you find yourself being stressed in other parts of your life, absolutely. It's it's kind of like, I don't know, I remember times in my life where all I listened to were like nostalgia critic videos. And I remember having this kind of sense of anxiety at some points because all you'd have in your ears, this movie's so bad. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. ah, this movie. It's just like when you listen to that stuff all the time, you end up going like, yeah, everything sucks. And it's just like, I don't know. Take a minute, take a step back. Enjoy things. Touch grass. Touch grass. <laughs> I, Call your mom. I, <laughs> I got very soapboxy there for a minute, but like, I think that is very important. It's so. it's valid. I, I look, buddy. I'd be standing right up there on you with you if you scoot over. It's not that big, Stephen, and you're no. taller. Oh, than Oh, it's not idiot. that big. What the hell is that supposed to mean? You're huh? still taller, and it's two feet tall. <laughs> We're gonna return to Star Wars live for just a brief second. Uh, James did text me to inform me that uh, he said that his main problem with the prequels was not enough Jar Jar. Well, I mean that's fair uh, because he's not in every scene. Yeah, and most importantly for me, it's just they never answer that all-important question, Caleb. What, what that, that tongue, tongue do? do? We'll never know. Hey guys, my name's Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, All New 52, and The Snub Club. Hey Stephen, where can the good people find you? Well, the good people can find me at Stephen Weeben, that is S-T-E-E-B-E-N-W-E-E-B-E-N on Instagram. I'm also on uh, YouTube haven't posted anything in a long time, but if you want to check it out, it's spelled Stephen just the same way. And our good co-host Alex will be back here uh, very soon. But you can find him at uh, underscore Alex Bryson at on Instagram or uh, what is his st three st three p h e underscore on Twitch. Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate that very much, Alex. I am sorry. His banner, <laughs> his banner image is Momo with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll all be back together uh, next time where we'll talk about Star Wars and, and life. life.